This is the Doctor Who podcast, and you are most welcome. Hello, and welcome to the Doctor Who podcast, episode 63. Is that a big number in Doctor Who? I think it is. In this episode, we'll be talking about your feedback, which you've been kind enough to send us from Australia, Sweden, New Zealand. Do they have the internet down there? All right, sit down. I've got some feedback for you. Hello, one. Hello, all. Hello, Tom. You know we're going to get letters again from our New Zealand listeners, mate. You just know they've already started typing. Well, both of them. (laughs) Well, those that have electricity and the internet in the same house will be able to contact us. The rest will just have to... uh, Send us a letter on paper, I suppose. Hello, hello, everyone. House and electricity. The Prime Minister's going to write to us. Wow. <laughs> Tom, it's a pleasure to have you back in the camper van yet again, mate. How, how you going? Um, I'm not bad. I apologise if I'm a little bit um, slow and low-voiced. I've not been terribly well. Um, but yes, it's good to be here. It's nice to hear your voice. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. Not a truer word has ever been spoken, Tom. You're you're bang on the money there, mate. Um, As you said most expertly in the High Energy intro, we are indeed going to be reading some of your feedback, and I will use that R word, reading. None of you are sending in MP3s, guys. Where are they? So unfortunately for this episode, you're going to have to listen to us drone for 45 minutes while we read your feedback. We're not happy. It's all right. Perhaps what I could do is um, put put the voices through a special effect. We'll see. You never know. <laughs> Let's have a we look. have we have that to look forward to. It, I suppose, in this episode. So onwards and upwards. You know, in that intro, we totally forgot to mention where our third co-host is. Um, you know, we were, bl- we were blathering on about feedback and welcoming Tom back to the caravan, but we totally forgot to tell you where Marty was. Um, that is an incredible <laughs> oversight on our part. Yeah, well, Marty and Tony, of course. Um, perhaps, uh, who else has been in the show? Uh, uh, James has done a couple of episodes, I believe. He Where's has. James? Well, he's been out roving and reporting. Um, I, I'd love to tell you who he's actually been talking to, but I wouldn't want to spoil the surprise. Suffice to say that the last time it was Bernard Cribbins, and the next interview that we bring you from James will be with an equally well-known member of the Doctor Who fraternity. Mm, I think we might be able to give something a little bit away at the end of the episode, I think. Just a little a little teaser about what will be coming up next week from the Doctor Who podcast. Wow. But that's then... This is now. It's time to get into your fantastic feedback, guys. Tom, I believe you have one there from Trev, who lives in South Wales. Yeah, so things, if you had something you wanted to say, you could have just like put it into the last podcast. You'd have to go, go through this bit of putting on a little gingham dress and then writing in. But there we go. I'm <coughs> sorry. Good-looking dress, though. Right, so, from Trevor New South Wales, uh, you said something about the many ways that Doctor Who could have saved the ship, and he said, I can't for some technobabble reason. I thought it was obvious that he was lying about that. He wanted to save everybody on the ship and Kazran. He even added him to the number, remember? Uh, Kazran said, is that some sort of threat? And, of course, no, it wasn't. The Doctor was hoping and offering to save him. Plus, I think it will play well when viewed as a regular episode, as long as we remember that the Doctor was visiting somebody at Christmas, and so he decided to employ a sentimental idea. Great stuff. 
that's a very interesting point you make there, Trev. Um, <laughs> I, I suppose when I did mention about why they went through that convoluted way of saving the ship, then if they didn't do it that way, then you wouldn't have a Christmas episode at all. It, it would be very, very short. So... You know, we like I said in the episode, we, we have to go with the conceit that um, the Doctor's going to be doing something about Kazran's life and changing him for the better. Mm. But in an ideal world, I suppose, the Doctor could have still saved the ship in whatever way he felt and then later decided to do something about Kazran because really the, the two issues are reasonably separate, I think. Saving the ship, making Kazran a better person. They don't really need to be done at the same time. He, he still could have gone back and save the planet in that way by making him a you know sort of much nicer person to deal with perhaps you know it's interesting to see an almost complete turnabout in the way the doctor uh, sees events and time I, mean, I, I think if we think back to william hartnell you know, you know number one um in the first episode he's very we must not interfere we must not inter- we must not interfere at all um, when you get something like the massacre there's thousands of people dying there thousands mm, um and mm. and and it's like well we turn around we get into the TARDIS and we disappear to now um so when we get to uh, the 10th regeneration so the 11th incarnation you've got someone wading straight in and having no problem with fundamentally changing the established history of someone's personality you could argue that it's paradoxical and say that well <clears throat> he's he had always done it but the fact of the matter is if you come at it from a time lord point of view the timeline is one way and i'm now altering it to suit the way that I would like the universe to be, which is phenomenally mm. arrogant. Um, I think you know, that idea surfaces in the waters of Mars, but goes all the way back to Tom Baker as well. You know, there's that f- that fabulous scene in uh, the Genesis of the Daleks where he's being told interfere with this timeline, totally interfere with this timeline, almost destroy it. And he's like, I don't know, if I've got the right to do it. I can't do it. To now, where it's like, oh, I don't. I, th- I think he's got a bit of a frown on his face. I think I'll get back into his timeline and change everything. That's kind of dangerous. Well, not dangerous. It's an interesting turnaround. It's an interesting uh, point to note. I think. Definitely, definitely. It's it's interesting. The like you say, the different ways the tenant and Smith Doctor treat time. Mm. I, I think they're treating it in the same way, but they've just got a very different attitude to it now, which which is a, incredibly fascinating. And I'm sure people more learned than ourselves will write many, many reams and books upon the subject. Uh, <laughs> In the years to come, which we'll probably buy from Mad Norwegian Press at a wonderfully reduced price. So uh, I look forward to that. (laughs) Our next bit of feedback is from Finn. And uh, he says, it's always good to have an Australian like myself on the podcast because... Finn is from Australia. Hello, Finn. Um, I felt this special was a really well-produced family viewing experience. Christmas does play a big part in it, but this felt a lot more like a family experience than the rest of the Christmas specials. The End of Time Part 1 was about as far as you can get from a family viewing experience for Doctor Who, while this special even features a family at a dinner table. I totally agree with that. It's one thing I've always wondered over the years, that all our Doctor Who Christmas specials seem to be filled with so much death and invasion and destruction. (laughs) And, you know, they might hang a bit of tinsel in front of the camera, but that doesn't make it a Christmas special, guys. Um, Finian also talks to you about uh, River Song, and uh, he, he doubts whether River Song is Captain Jack. Uh, I think she is an entirely her own character, but I do think she could be a Time Lord. So, yes, food for thought there. I, I pretty much agree with everything you say, Finn, because you're an Australian and you have incredible foresight into these sort of things. Hang on. So I've, we've done two bits of feedback. One's from a guy called Trev in Australia. The second one's from a guy in Australia. Hmm. All right. 
Show me your yeah, hands. You, you have no idea how many false email addresses I've had to burn just to get the feedback into this episode. <laughs> I'll never be able to use them again. Well, yeah, it's a common complaint. Right, the next bit of feedback we've got is from Andreas in Sweden. Now, regarding Trevor's complaints about the Doctor changing Catherine's life, I don't think that this is much different from what the Doctor always does. In pretty much every story, he pops into some people's lives and starts to affect the outcome of events, and, of course, the courses of their lives. Hmm. The only difference in A Christmas Carol is that he does it in more than one part of Kazran's life. Yes and no. Mm, I was going to say exactly the same thing. Hmm. Um, sure, every time the Doctor, who is a time traveller, enters a situation, he is going to alter the events. I mean, that whole thing about you know, you know, the beating of a butterfly's wings uh, affecting something across the world. Hmm. But I, I don't think we've really ever seen something as blatant as this since the Seventh Doctor era, hmm. where we have a Doctor who's, in his own way, being very manipulative, mm. going in there with the purpose of radically changing this person's life. I think pretty much all the other Doctor's interactions with people and events and planets have seen a, I suppose you even call it accidental mm. change in people's lives. Sure, for the better mm-hmm. in both cases, but um, I, I think Matt Smith just a little bit more calculating in this one. One of the things I, th- I notice is that the action's already taking place when we... Uh, when we join the story, the ship is crashing. The Doctor is on the surface of the planet. So maybe what we maybe what we're missing here is that, is that there's something else about that ship that we would know had we watched the previous half hour of action that the Doctor knows, which is why he's quite happy to think right now. I've got to save the ship, and the way he does it is just uh, an added bonus, if you like. So I wonder if there's something about that ship crashing that is fundamental to our understanding of the coming season and would enhance the way we understand the episode. Perhaps, perhaps. Maybe we might get a Christmas Carol part two. Who knows? (laughs) Hark the Herald Davros sing. (laughs) On to our next bit of uh, feedback. You might remember recently that James and Tom had a a very lively discussion about companion Doctor mix-ups, where basically we theorised about what if certain companions were teamed up with different doctors what sort of effect would there be would it be a good pairing well we've received a bit of feedback from tom who's based in chicago and i hope you're popping down to the gallifrey convention tom hope to see you there um he says i admit that i'm still catching up on the classic episodes, so i don't know the earlier doctors or companions too well i'm just about done with the first doctor and i've seen bits of the others here and there but there are a couple of thoughts i had the first doctor and donna noble particularly donna's characterization in The Runaway Bride before she loses some of her abrasiveness through interacting with Tennant. William Hartnell's lovable grumpy doctor and the high-strung Donna would have been at each other's throats even more than she was with Tennant. They might save the planet if they don't kill each other first. Also, the seventh doctor and Martha Jones. Why that pairing, you say? Some of you might not know that the Tennant story Human Nature was originally based on a seventh doctor novel from the 1990s. How different would it have been if Martha had been interacting with Seven? Would she have been as in love with him? Conversely, how different would the events have played out if Benny from the original book was interacting with the Tenth Doctor instead? Hmm. Ah. Interesting. That's that's, that's really interesting, actually, because um, I suppose we've already got a different companion Doctor mix-up by them making Human Nature, Family of Blood into a TV show because we take the dynamic that we had in that wonderful book by Paul Cornell 
and um, it, it's been transferred to the you know sort of televised medium with the Tenth Doctor and Martha. Well, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I preferred the TV story to the book. The book's really, really good, but I think the Tenth Doctor carried it slightly better than the Seventh Doctor. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying that Sylvester McCoy couldn't do it. He could. He's a brilliant actor. But Tennant and uh, Freeman Adjiman on screen, I think, made a, a, little, a bit more of a contrast than the Seventh Doctor, the companion in the book. So, to be honest, I don't think anyone's losing out there. Paul Cornell wrote both of them, and it was great both times. But uh, for my money, I'd rather watch the TV show. Yes. Well, keep your companion Doctor mix-ups uh, coming in, guys, because we'd love to uh, read and hear more about what you think um, would be an interesting companion doctor mix-up so, so please send them in feedback at the doctor podcast.com what do you think would be an interesting doctor companion doctor mix-up well i think i mentioned it in the episode which i was evidently at and had distinct <laughs> memories of being at and recording and you're trying to convince me otherwise because i'm sure i had a distinct memory of talking about sarah jane and somebody or other but then it got shot down but obviously that that was a dream yes so <laughs> so, so who sarah jane and who it's interesting with Sarah Jane because she's now interacted with so many doctors. Mm. Um, what are we up to? Uh, four. Actually, probably even six or seven now if you count uh, her brief conversations during the five doctors. Mm. So it's probably too easy to come up with a Sarah Jane thing. I think I would like to see an, a new companion with McGann, merely because he's only ever had one televised story and he, and he only got one and a half companions, basically. Right. And so... Ne- Never really got a chance on TV to um, show us what he was worth, you know, sort of big finish notwithstanding. Um, now, what would be an interesting pair up with the McGann Doctor, the the passionate, lovable, um, romantic Doctor? Oh, you're asking me? Oh, I'm, I'm asking because I'm hoping it gives me enough time to think of one myself. Um, let's think, <laughs> McGann and Tegan. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like that previous bit of feedback, Everyone seems to be after these abrasive interactions between different mix-ups. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're keen to get Donna with the first Doctor because they'll be arguing and bickering. And I think that's really indicative of maybe modern Doctor Who, but that's really not a hallmark of classic Doctor Who. So if you're going to put a modern companion with the first Doctor, for example, it really has to be something that befits the era rather than starkly okay. contrasted, I think. All right, well, okay, it's, it's interesting, though. It, with with McGann, uh, certainly through Big Finish, there's the Eighth Doctor-Susan pairing, which works quite well, I think. It's a bizarre thing, that audio, isn't it? Where um, mm. It's the, uh, the uh, Christmas episode, isn't it, where they get together? Relative dimensions, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, and not only do we have um, Susan calling the Paul McGann doctor-grandfather all the time, but she has a son. So he's now a great-grandfather as well. So it, it's kind of bizarre. It's an interesting interaction, but, but she seems to play it the same way as though she was there with Hartnell anyway, this sort of adoring, paternal-type relationship, which doesn't really change even though we've got a younger, more sexy doctor in the role. Okay. Well, how about them, Eight and Nissa? They'd be, they'd be a very beautiful pairing. They would be. They, they might even get married. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> <laughs> they got the same. They have the same hair and eyes, but I think they would be highly compatible. But uh, this is this is quite a good fit for, for for most of the doctors, actually. Actually, you know, you know saying that, no, she isn't. Uh, I'm not sure that Nissa and three or Nissa and four would work terribly well. 
if you're saying Nissa and three don't work, then you're also saying three and Liz Shaw don't work. No, Liz Shaw is a scientist from Earth, and that's different. You know, the, the, the technology at that time is slight, is not terribly advanced, and she's an, an assistant to the Doctor, but no real threat in terms of um, hierarchy of knowledge. And this is an alien. A very capable alien as well, although she doesn't understand telebiogenesis. <laughs> but aside from that, she's <laughs> a common much, failing like, of most companions, I believe. Yes, exactly. So it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, she's more of she, she's more advanced, and she she's more of the Doctor's equal. I think not mm. an equal, but more so uh, than some of the other companions. Where Liz is a human scientist, and she's good, but she's not Nissa of Trakin, you know. I tell you what, we've we've been talking about the Eighth Doctor with a female up to now, and all I can think of is the Eighth Doctor's ability to nurture and and to take someone under his wing, as I think we've seen expanded in the Big Finish audios. What would you think about the Eighth Doctor and Adric? Hmm. Because, I mean, uh, the Baker Doctor and Adric, I don't think, ever really got along. I mean, they, they... he detested the little boy, and mm. I think the Davison Doctor kind of inherited him and wouldn't have chosen him if it was his choice, I think. Um, I was thinking about this earlier on in the week. If you think about um, the different Doctors about being the stages of someone's life, when it, the fourth Doctor is very much someone's mid-twenties, if you like, um, by the time you get to the eighth Doctor, that's a, that's a more paternal stage in someone's life, maybe like the late th- mid to late thirties. So I think he would have been. I think you used exactly the right word: more nurturing mm. uh, towards the uh, pajama wearing chap <laughs> with the lovely gold star. Our next bit of feedback is is a bit of general feedback we've received from Georgia, and she's been quite coy about where exactly in the world she's calling from. So we're going to say she lives in Turkey. So Georgia from Turkey has written in and said, Hello to all the hosts of the Doctor Who podcast. I just wanted to drop you a line and tell you that for my history class in Turkey, we have had to write an essay about something that impacted the world between the 1950s and now. And I thought to myself, hey, my favourite thing in the world has been around since the 1960s, Doctor Who. And Doctor Who really has had an impact on my life. I thought as well as helping me with my essay, it would make a really interesting discussion topic for an episode. Maybe you could explore how it has individually impacted your lives and the world. I'd really appreciate it as though you can get back to me with your thoughts. And if you can fill up a whole episode, that would be great. I'm sure it would, Georgia from Turkey. You could probably base your entire essay on our ramblings, but we'll give you a but we'll give you a couple of minutes here now. I think um, I want to start off by saying Doctor Who has impacted my life personally for a great many years, and I think we really only have to look at what's going to be happening in about a week's time for me. I'm taking my first ever overseas trip. Now, I'm not going to some beautiful exotic location and sitting by a beach and sipping martinis. No, I'm going to a Doctor Who convention in a basement in Los Angeles. Now, if that hasn't shown how Doctor Who has impacted someone's life dramatically, that they make such financial and, I suppose, life-altering decisions based on a show they've loved since, you know, the early 70s, and I don't know what does. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, I think for, for my part, um, the show's taught me 
uh, about the processes of making television and how effective they can be when done properly. Um, if we look back at some of those old 1977 Tom Baker episodes, they're not shoddy, but you need to make a leap of imagination to actually see it as it's intended to be. Um, and being asked to do that once a week for 25 minutes was a great exercise for me because it absolutely fired my imagination. So now, uh, in in my later life, um, I think I've got an active imagination and a, specific, and a certain worldview yeah. because it was made, it was shown, shown to me very clearly that it's okay to dream and it's okay to imagine and it's okay to have... Uh, to think about problems from a non-violent standpoint. Obviously, that goes into the big mixing pot of other things that uh, were in my upbringing, but it's a very active part of that. So, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think Doctor Who is a great show for showing us possibilities. You know, that's one of the things, that's one of the great things about television yeah. as a medium. I think for me too, certainly classic Doctor Who was, mm. was a fantastic moral compass. Um, yes. you, you know, the Doctor was the character that always stood up for what was right. At the end of the day, it was good over evil, basically. And watching an episode of Doctor Who really made you consider, well, what sort of person should I be? Now, I know that mm. sounds a little bit crazy, maybe it's a little bit obsessive, but when you've got a character that's just so consistently written from, I suppose, a right and wrong perspective, certainly when I was watching it in the last century, then it really makes you think, well, what sort of person can I be? Can I be as good as the Doctor? Can, can I make the right decisions throughout my life so um there's just so many things in doctor who that you know guide the way that i think it, it's fair to say and I'm, I'm sure there'll be someone who can express this more eloquently but one of the things about humans is we do love to gather together and tell stories this is how we learn once upon a time we had an oral tradition and now we have um a theater tradition we have a storytelling tradition uh, and, this, and the the ability to want to transfer fantastic stories is hardwired to us as a species homo loquens we want to talk um one of the great things about Doctor Who is it does it allows us to tell any story we particularly like, uh, and it's very. I think I personally think it's a very human way of telling the stories as well because you've got the central character who is visibly changing, who's changing radically every every few years, um, which to me is an, illust- an illustration of the human condition because we too change very very slowly, but we do it. I'm not the same person I was when I was seven. I'm not the same person I was when I was twenty, and I'm not the same person as I as I was when I was 28. Um, so I am changing, and Doctor Who helps to illustrate that process. As a result of trauma, we change. The first time you split up with a partner, the first time that you start a new job, the first time that you move home, any of these things which are um, considered to be life-changing events do mark you and do change you. Uh, and in a very uh, literal way, when the doctor goes through a traumatic event, it changes him too. So if you if you want to, if you're that way inclined, you could say, well, all right, it's a great illustration of what it is to be human. Even though the central character is actually an alien, sometimes we're aliens to ourselves. Wow. Well, Georgia from Turkey, if you don't get an A for your essay, I will be incredibly surprised. <laughs> Please let us know what you end up getting. Um, yeah. <laughs> very well put, mate. Very well put. Wow, I can't believe I said that. I'm so angry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think after that uh, modest little mound of feedback, all that's left for us here at the Doctor Who Podcast to do is to sign off and bid you farewell for yet another <laughs> week. Um, but before we go, um, for one reason or another, this is probably the last chance we'll actually be speaking to you directly like this before James and myself head off to the wonders of Gallifrey, the convention being held in Los Angeles in a a very short space of time, about a week away. So 
We just want to say to you all, we're looking forward to James and I meeting as many of you as possible. Um, please come up and say hi. We'll be the ones wearing the incredibly striking and sexy and uh, beautifully tailored Doctor Who podcast T-shirts. Bikinis. No, T-shirts, Tom. T-shirts. They couldn't fit the logo on the bikini, so we had to go for a T-shirt. Sorry. Plenty of my cereal. <laughs> <laughs> So please come up and say hi. We, we would love to meet as many of you as we possibly can. And for those that have been to Gallifrey before, we will have ribbons. We've been told that you can't turn up to Gallifrey without having some form of ribbon to give away. So if you see either James or myself wandering around the corridors looking bored or aimless or just generally lost... Ask for a ribbon. Right, well, after all of that, all that remains to say is to say thank you so much for joining us on episode 63 of the Doctor Who podcast. It's goodbye from Trev. Looking forward to seeing you at Gallifrey this year and just having a lot of fun. It's goodbye from me. Wherever James is, I'm sure he says goodbye as well. Take care and we'll speak to you in a very, very short time. Bye-bye. That was the Doctor Who podcast which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care. From the dawn of podcasting, we came, moving silently down through the RSS feeds, managing many secret Twitter accounts, struggling to reach the time of Gallifrey One, when the few who are willing will battle to the last. No one has ever known we were among you, because apparently we don't publicize our podcasts well enough, but that's not the point. The point is, there's going to be a nerd fight throwdown at Gallifrey One, and I need your help. The Doctor Who Podcast and Staggering Stories are going to meet mano a mano a mano a mano. It's a two-on-two, no-holds-barred trivia fight, and I need your questions because I'm moderating. Please send me your best, your most difficult, your most gnarly television episode-based trivia question. That's right, they've all got to be tied to televised Doctor Who. Email me your questions and your answers to quiz at TWOMinuteTimeLord.com. That's quiz at TwoMinuteTimeLord.com. I'll take the best questions, put them together, and fling them at the Doctor Who podcast and Staggering Stories contestants, and we'll see who walks out of Gallifrey 1 alive. Send in those questions. I need them by February 10th.